Hi everyone, welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol and I'm the host of this program. If you're tuning back in, we're glad you're here. If you're new, welcome. Today's episode is titled, Truth or Tolerance? What's your gospel? Well, before we kick off this episode, I thought I would take a minute and just reacquaint ourselves with our audience. We haven't done that in a while. And we have some new listeners. So if you're new, we are a ministry based out of Colorado called JCM or Jeremiah's Call Ministries. Our name was inspired by the prophet Jeremiah, who, as many of you know, was a man of immense courage who was called by God to prophesy a strong message to Judah, the southern kingdom of ancient Israel. And he delivered a strong message, of course, of destruction and judgment, but also mercy, providing the people of Judah repented of their rebellion to God and returned to him. His nickname was the weeping prophet, because he sorrowed over the fate of the people and his nation. Because he carried such a bold message, our team often pictures him somewhat like a trumpet blasting or a blasting shofar, which would produce the sound of an alarm to wake people up. Well, at JCM, we feel called in a similar fashion. Although we do not come anywhere near close to Jeremiah, we too sorrow over where we're headed and feel compelled to sound an alarm. And for the last almost 10 years, we've been doing just that, which is why our logo is a shofar. Our mission is to preach, warn, and teach, as told by Paul in Colossians 1.28, in an effort to warn of deception and remind each other to restore holiness in the fear of God, and overall, to help believers mature in their faith. To accomplish this, we offer Bible studies and workshops, retreats, biblical trips, this podcast, and more. So that's just a little bit about us. And so we hope your visit here blesses you. Well, like I said, our message today is called Truth or Tolerance? What's your gospel? You know, I was reading Philippians the other day and was awestruck yet again at the kind of life believers are called to live. Paul speaks to us about standing fast, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, to keep our conduct worthy of the gospel of Christ. He tells us also not in any way to be terrified by our adversaries. He reminds us to make ourselves of no reputation, just like Christ did. He reminds us also to be obedient to the call that we have, He also tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, meaning reverence and watchfulness, watching to make sure that we are not offending Christ in any way. He tells us to labor without complaining or disputing in this crooked and perverse generation that we find ourselves in, among whom we shine as lights in the world, he says, holding fast to the word, the word of God, the word of life so that we can rejoice in the day of Christ that we have not run or labored in vain. It's such an encouraging letter that Paul wrote when he was under house arrest in Rome. The whole letter is a reminder of this life-changing message that faith-filled believers in Jesus Christ have been entrusted to share with the world. So powerful is the gospel of our Lord that people were willing to be imprisoned for it, die for it, humble themselves under the cruelty of man for it. 
make themselves of no reputation for it. Paul says, For to us it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. And suffer they did, all for the gospel. Think about that. It is considered the favor of Christ to not only have us believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, for the sake of delivering the message about him to an unbelieving world. Wow! I mean, what a book! What a Bible we have! The value of redeeming one soul back into right relationship to God is so important to Christ that it is considered a beautiful thing if those who are already redeemed suffer in that endeavor. Do you feel that way? That is why to be able to accomplish this mission in a world growing more hostile to true biblical Christianity, Paul says we need to stick together, especially if we're called to suffer. We need to be a strength to each other right now. Like-minded, he says, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, letting nothing be done in selfish ambition or conceit, but to esteem others better than ourselves. Let this be our mind as we go out with the gospel, as it was the mind of Christ. And have no confidence in your flesh, Paul says. Don't have confidence in your own credentials and abilities, but rather count all of that as loss for the knowledge of Christ our Lord. All we want is to gain Christ and to be found in him and do what he called us to do. And he says, as many of you are mature out there, have this mind and follow our example because it's your pattern. They are our pattern on how to live and preach the gospel. But over the centuries, that pattern has been shifting, moving from a pattern that they set forth into a pattern now created by other men. And in recent years, that pattern has been taking on a whole new form, a form of tolerance, trying to present the world a tolerant gospel. And in that, a new form of Christianity has emerged with the new gospel, a gospel that presents the world with a different Jesus, an unoffendable one, a Christianity that is not Christian at all, not birthed from the suffering of Christ, but rather birthed from the agreements and purposes of man. And Paul warned us. He warned us to watch for these things. He warned in his letters to beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, beware of the mutilation. Beware, he says, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit, according to the traditions of men and basic principles of the world. Beware, he says over and over again. Beware if you think you stand, lest you fall. But that's what's happening. You see, Christians today... We are increasingly finding ourselves at odds with a system that is aggressively trying to undermine God, his existence, his name, the reflection of his likeness in humanity, and his structure and governance of the created world. Some people call this new trajectory a brave new world. Well, I certainly would not. 
the current environments in which we live are starting to put pressure on us to conform to the dictates of political correctness and tolerance rather than what God has commanded us to do. How do we deliver the true gospel in an environment where biblical Christianity finds such ferocious opposition among today's self-styled champions of religious tolerance? Tolerance. One of the pet words of this postmodern age in which we live. It's a good word, but we have tried to stretch it over too great an area. In today's America, tolerance is considered by many to be a high virtue, right? Perhaps the highest virtue. Americans plead for broad-mindedness, tolerance, and charity, and a coming together in a spirit of give and take. The world, of course, needs some of this, some broad-mindedness and tolerance. However, within Christianity... There is also a need for intolerance, and intolerance does not fit well in postmodern thinking. Postmodernism is a philosophy that affirms no objective or absolute truth, especially in matters of religion. And this is creating a problem for Christianity today. You see, the impact of postmodern thinking has not only influenced the mindset of unbelievers in society, but has brought confusion into God's church to Christians who are not grounded properly in the Word of God. We must understand that the original definition and application of tolerance is the basic right of everyone to believe whatever they choose to believe and say whatever they want to say, right? This kind of tolerance means we have the freedom to worship or not to worship, uh, to be political conservative or political liberal, live and let live, right? And Christians are tolerant to that. Today, however, that word is used quite differently. It's a tolerance that loathes moral absolutes, something that the Bible is filled with. It means to be tolerant of almost every kind of abnormal, strange behavior, and it insists that those who disagree with these viewpoints are intolerant. And this has created a compulsion to combat expressions of disagreement when it comes to the Bible in an effort to hinder both discussion of it and Christians living it out. So when someone shouts down a Christian speaker on a college campus, or destroys a pro-life exhibit, or even physically attacks someone with opposing views on sexuality, for example, they actually believe they are being tolerant, based on the evolved new meaning of the word. And if you oppose such things, like same-sex marriage, or transgenderism, or abortion, you are intolerant, and deserve to be shamed. They want to silence what they consider an intolerant gospel in the tolerant world they've created. You see, we've made this word tolerance such a virtue that what was once forbidden by God is now accepted, and what was once universally deemed immoral is now celebrated. And dissenting voices within Christianity, people who are trying to hold to a biblical worldview, are oftentimes condemned within this new tolerant form of Christianity that's emerged. And you don't have to look far to find the evidence of that. I mean, just look at comments on social media alone coming from professing Christians who will stand in defense of things that God abhors and a tolerant society accepts. Someone who's out there trying to deliver a word from the scriptures or point out a truth to help steer people back from error will receive a reply like, you have your truth, I have my truth, typically followed up by a sarcastic remark. That's the new postmodern reply. 
You have your truth. I have my truth. Now, a response like that doesn't matter much if you're talking about preferences towards food or sports, but in matters of faith, it's very dangerous ground to find ourselves on. And as a result of this thinking, a divide is happening not only within society, but within God's church as well. Jesus offers two roads to take, a narrow one that is difficult but leads to life, and a broad one that is wide and leads to destruction. Few find the narrow road. Sadly, many go in by the broad one. We are witnessing firsthand the choice people are making, and we too will have to choose which road we want to go down. Will we choose the way of the cross, which will be difficult, or the perceived safety and acceptance of the world, completely ignoring Paul's warnings and instruction? That our life in Christ is not just about us believing, but suffering for the truth we are to share with the world. So Christians are finding themselves living in attention, aren't we? And if we're not careful, we risk giving in to the compromise. On one hand, we are given a mandate by God to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, delivering a message to humanity that confronts sin. On the other hand, we are also trying to strike a balance to appeal to all sides by offering a softer message to a world tolerant of sin. Many of us are living in this tension. We don't want to be crucified by the world, but we, we don't want to be crucified with Christ either. And this is something you will need to work out. What is your truth? Which God are you really serving? What gospel are you preaching? Paul warns us in the Corinthians not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up against each other. But that's what's happened. We're starting to go beyond the scriptures to create a new Christianity, and we're using it to attack each other. Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? In Christ, you have everything. You're already full. You are already rich. We don't need to go beyond the teaching of scripture. He says, I urge you, imitate me. This is all in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Boy, isn't that the case today? We have thousands of voices instructing us through podcasts and sermons and books and what have you. But who's fathering you, my friend? Who is truly instructing you in righteousness? Who is going to shoot it straight with you? Who is going to model true Christianity to you? Because what's happening is our witness is compromised. The true gospel is not just about salvation, but holy living and obedience and moral absolutes and living out life the way God commands. It presents an exclusivity that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Christ can't even be put in the same category as someone like Muhammad or Confucius or Buddha. He just can't. He's the son of God the only Son of God. But this exclusivity does not fit in the age of a new tolerance. But that's the message we've been given to deliver, right? And it's narrow. So narrow that some of us are shying away from delivering it in a culture that seems tolerant of everything else but Christ. You can say God all day long, but you mention Jesus Christ and all hell breaks loose, right? 
We don't want to get shouted down or shamed or cast out of our social circles. We don't want to suffer. It's also not surprising that in an effort to show the world that we can practice the virtue of tolerance, Christians have now found themselves mixing Christianity with other worldviews. In an effort to appear that we can come together in a spirit of give and take, it's all compromise. That's why we see interfaith movements growing, like interfaith prayer, which is trying to bring people of all faiths together to pray. To pray to whom? Right? A few years back, George Barna gave us some insight into all this through his research on the worldview inventory. And he presented the worldviews that are now mixed with Christianity, and he called it syncretism. That's actually truly the word for it. Syncretism is the fusion of different beliefs and worldviews with Christ. It's not new. The book of Colossians addresses this very issue. Well, his research showed that only 4% of adult Americans hold to a biblical worldview, while the remaining 96% embrace syncretism, a mixture tolerance. And what this has done is created new forms of Christianity. And when you have new forms of Christianity, you are going to have new forms of the gospel. And if you're going to have new forms of the gospel, then you are going to be presenting the world a new and different Jesus. And we're warned by the Apostle Paul, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's a statement that puts the fear of God into you. Well, let me give you the examples of what Barna found out. Of course, there's biblical theism, which is trying to live by a biblical worldview. But then you have Christianity now mixed with the New Age and mysticism. This is where professing Christians are embracing ideas that are rooted in the new spirituality that's out there. Even new forms of prayer are emerging and popping up in churches based on new age practices. Other people are mixing in this area. Uh, They say it doesn't matter which God you pray to as long as you're praying. They even practice karma. If you do good, good will be done to you, which of course appeals to a Christian's need for justice. I, I have a firsthand example of this. When I was at an event and a man was speaking to a quite a large group of people and he said, everyone has Christ in him. He just needs to be activated. I was appalled inside. But when I looked around, people were nodding their head in agreement, clueless to the fact that he just presented a mystical Jesus, a false gospel. Christianity is also being mixed with secular humanism, a worldview that denies the existence of supernatural forces or deities, but affirms the potential of human beings to fill that role, to be kind and just and humane. So it values science and reason and evidence. Christianity is also mixing with Marxism. Marxism wants to do away with class struggle and ensure equal outcomes for all people. But there's an underlying darkness to that. And so the attempts may be well-meaning, but they are impractical. There's also Christianity mixing with dualism. Dualism is where there are two equal powers, two opposing forces at work, good and evil, for example. It seems well enough okay until you find that it's rooted in philosophy, 
philosophical thinking, pitting spiritual and physical against each other. This is big in the church today because we have embraced philosophical approaches to the gospel. Books are filled with philosophy. Seminaries are teaching home philosophy. This is what Gnosticism preached way back when. Then you have Christianity with something called moralistic therapeutic deism, otherwise called feel-good Christianity. It's described as a popular fake form of Christianity that was discovered to be, be profoundly influencing Christian teenagers in the early 2000s. But now it permeates both American culture and the Christian church, making it the most popular worldview in the United States today. People see themselves as Christians, but they are actually living out a watered-down, counterfeit worldview that looks more like the culture around them than the biblical Christianity they profess. Then you have Christianity and nihilism. It provides a dark contrast to faith and hope. It's a defeatist attitude that life has no meaning or that even as a Christian, they can't find or they have no purpose. And believe it or not, many Christians embrace this. And then you have postmodernism, which we've been discussing. And this is that inclusive theology that lets individuals determine right and wrong based on personal preferences, justifying it because, well, we are free in Christ to do so. Well, Friends, when people begin to appropriate their own theories and ideas using the name of Christ, we have to say something, don't we? This is where our intolerance comes in. We must be unequivocally intolerant of any message contradicting Christ because it's dishonest and it leads people astray. And when we do this, when we confront this, we must arm ourselves to suffer the retaliation of delivering this truth the same way that the early church did. Because despite all this mixing, all this trying to fit in, all this trying to look tolerant, sin is still rife and humanity is struggling more than ever, so something's not working. You see, syncretism gives the appearance of godliness but denies its power because power is only found in the true gospel of Christ. That is why we cannot, under any circumstances, as Paul says, be ashamed of the gospel of Christ in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he says, for it is the power of God unto salvation, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. When the true message of Christ is delivered, power is released and God's righteousness is is revealed, and man are confronted with their failures. That's what we need today. A fresh dose of righteousness staring us in the face to show us our own sinfulness and foolishness in thinking that we can water down or neutralize the gospel for the sake of inclusiveness. We look around and wonder why mankind is the way that it is today. Well, it's because we've turned our back on our Maker. The Bible says that mankind is created in the image and likeness of God, right? That means we're not mere animals that evolved, nor are we many gods. The Lord of creation made us in his image. I mean, <laughs> wrap your head around that. He made us in his image. Male and female 
with unique attributes that include a personality, emotions, the ability to reason or be creative, the power to evaluate, and even the power to control ourselves. And so understanding this, we must realize then that man only truly functions the way he was created when he lives his life under the authority of God who made him, who made him in a given way and put laws within his nature. We are not created to live autonomous from God, but that's what we're doing. And so mankind has rebelled against this truth and now finds himself quarreling with his maker and warring against the created essence of God within him. And when we do that, things are bound to go wrong. This is how it's been for centuries. It's the whole story of the human race, isn't it, since the garden? Which is why we can't merely say that mankind is sick, as we like to say in churches. Man is sick, and the church is the hospital for the sick. And no, 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 it's more than that. His attitude towards his maker is wrong. He's living in rebellion to his maker. And it says, and friends, it says in 1 Samuel 15, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Wow. Rebellion is like practicing witchcraft. Stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. These are grave sins to the Lord. As a society, we are now sitting in and embracing the same sins as ancient, as ancient Israel once did. And like ancient Israel, we refuse to repent of them. And when they refused to repent, chaos, destruction, and judgment came. Don't think for a minute we'll avoid the same fate if we continue on this path. We're a nation, a society that is in rebellion as if practicing witchcraft. You know how nasty that spirit of witchcraft is? It's darkness. It's a dark, insidious spirit that is permeating our surroundings. And we've invited it in through our rebellion to God. This explains the pornography and the pornographic images bombarding the minds of our children. It explains the satanic clubs and statues. It explains the dark movies that are being put out there and the music and the lyrics. It's a culture that is saturated with witchcraft, with women thinking it's cool to call themselves a witch now and, oh, I feel witchy. They have no idea what they're doing. But that's not all. We're also stubborn. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, two things God detests. In the Bible, iniquity is a type of sin that includes a conscious decision to hurt someone else or to rebel against God's law. Look around at how we treat each other and how we're stepping outside the boundaries God has set experimenting with gender transitions, marriage in any form, disregarding the sanctity of life, making ourselves godlike when we choose to take this life or when we want to leave this world, a decision that is only given to God himself. Iniquity is not just sin. The Oxford Dictionary captures the meaning of iniquity through synonyms like 
wickedness, immorality, impropriety, vice, evil, sin, crime, heinousness, nefariousness, knavery, obscenity, and ungodliness. My goodness, doesn't that scream what's happening around us? And our own stubbornness brought this on, where we no longer revere the God who made us, but idolize institutions, idolize people, idolize our own self-importance, our own feelings, our own points of view, right? Do you see the danger we're in? Society as a whole is experiencing the devastating consequences of rebellion and stubbornness. And until a nation acknowledges her iniquity and repents, things will only get worse. But they can't acknowledge their iniquity unless someone tells them of it. And that someone is us. But reducing the Christian message and faith to saying, oh, Jesus loves you, is not going to change much much because it's not the complete gospel and it's not sufficient information for genuine conversion. What do they care if Jesus loves them when they don't see their need for him? I have a job, a home. My kids go to a good school. My parents just left me a big inheritance. I travel the world. I'm not interested in your Jesus, Carol. What's your Jesus going to do for me that I can't already do for my self. Not to mention, your Jesus may love me, you say, but will he love my brother who is a homosexual? Do you see? That's why we have to first show people why things are the way they are and be very clear about that message. There's no hope until we do that. I like how Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd Jones worded it. I mean, this was decades ago. But he says this, The Old Testament is the law. And as Paul puts it in Galatians 3.24, The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to show us our need. So when someone is confronted with something like the Ten Commandments, for example, there they see their failure. And it's only when they realize this truly, they'll see their failure. And it's only when people who see their failure who will be ready to listen to the offer of salvation. And boy, is that true. And we have to trust that when we deliver God's true word, it will go to work like it says it does, cutting between the soul and spirit to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is when people begin to truly wrestle and come to the realization that they are rebels to God. Otherwise, we make the gospel about us, what we think they need to hear, rather than what they really need to hear. Jesus loves you is a lovely thing to say, but it was not part of the apostolic preaching in the New Testament. And yet somehow, this has become our core gospel. The apostles always led with love. We always need to lead with love. But they preached, believe, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Their gospel was Christ crucified. People need to understand, friends, why he died for them. 
which was to reconcile mankind to his creator. God doesn't need to do us any favors. In his profound mercy, he sent his son to restore a rebellious people back to him. And when the true gospel was preached, power was released, Romans 1, and God's righteousness revealed. That's where men could see their failure. They could not measure up to the standard of God, and they would be filled with godly sorrow over their rebellion to their maker, and they would repent and turn back to him and be born again. And once that happened, they were changed, and they purposed to live a crucified life to the one who set them free from the prison they found themselves in. They were now crucified with Christ, crucified to the world, and the world to them, Galatians. And no form of tolerance would take them off that cross. They found the answer for their soul, and they rejected everything else. Their gospel was preached under the pressures of the Roman Empire in a pagan culture where gods provided every need, rain, crops, fertility, victory. Regardless, they took the gospel into that environment, an environment where the supreme worship was directed at Caesar. And anyone who didn't worship Caesar would be tortured or killed. And here they were, preaching the true living God, an exclusive, narrow message that would cost them everything, their reputation and their life. But they preached it anyway, that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life, not Caesar. Confronting their own pantheon of gods, confronting their sin. And it started with only 12 people, and they turned the ancient, pagan, ungodly, barbaric world upside down. The power of the gospel is the most underused spiritual weapon the Christians carry today. It bears repeating. It just bears repeating Romans 1. It's in 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I'm going to paraphrase here, even in a tolerant culture, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. But in the very next line, Paul reveals a staggering truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Verses 18 and 19. In our rebellion and stubbornness against our maker, we have ignited his anger, much like ancient Israel did. Mankind has the ability to make God known but are suppressing the truth, worshiping and serving the creature themselves rather than the creator. Divine attributes clearly seen within humanity alone are being stifled and even stamped out, even though they know the truth. But in their stubbornness, their foolish hearts are darkened. Professing to be the wise ones of culture, the wise ones of society, they became fools. You want to understand why we have an identity crisis today? Study Romans chapter 1. 
So God gives them over. He gave them over to the lusts of their heart. They hardened their heart to him. So he gave them what they desired. People harden their hearts first against God. And in his mercy, he gives them ample time to change their mind, just like he did with Israel. Forty years, Jeremiah preached. For our nation, it's been decades. But a point of time is coming when his patience will run out. And he will give us over to the very thing we left him for. Pharaoh found this out firsthand. He hardened his heart seven times before God finally did it for him. Society is unraveling across the world because God's anger is aroused against the ungodly and the unrighteous. He explicitly lays out the consequence of this behavior. Here's the fruit of it. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. That's all in Romans chapter 1. The new cultural tolerance we're embracing is not solving our problems. It's making them worse. But this is the arrogance of man. When we remove all restraint, where we are no longer bound by his moral laws, sin is free to wreak destruction on a civilization. But under God, sin is kept under bounds. That's why we need to repent and return. We need to confront sin, Christian. We are rejecting the living God in this society and replacing him with secular humanism where man is accountable to no one but himself and thinks he has the answers for the world's problems. We can fix mental illness. We can heal you. We can decrease the deficit. We can restore a healthy climate. We can save you from a pandemic. Authoritarian solutions are now being veiled in the language of care and concern and safety. But they're really leading sheep to the slaughter. Can you not see what's happening? Without the power of the message of the true gospel bringing men unto salvation and revealing God's righteous standards, we are being ever so slowly groomed to accept a system of living devoid of God making it that much easier to accept a one-world government and a one-world religion and a one-world ruler one day. Now more than ever, we need to be very clear about our message. Because the God of this age, friends, is blinding the minds of people so they cannot see the truth, nor the light of the gospel, nor the glory of Christ. And the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Second Chronicles 16.9 If you show yourself strong on behalf of him and you are willing to stand as Paul commands with courage, willing to not only believe in him but suffer for his sake, he will be strong on your behalf. So do not draw back or shrink in fear. What can man do to you? Why do we fear man who will die? Friends, mankind fundamentally needs the gospel, the only gospel that is able to renew him, 
and make a new man of him. Not a gospel that does not require repentance or surrender or makes no mention of carrying a cross. Christianity is a very exclusive, dogmatic faith. It's narrow, which is why few find it. It has a narrow message requiring holiness and obedience in the fear of God. We are bound to Christ first, not this world. We are commanded to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. No one can enter heaven or get to the Father any other way except Christ, who is the door. Anyone who tries to enter any other way is a thief and a robber, he says. Thieves steal in secret. Robbers plunder openly. It will take great courage to bring the exclusive message of Christ to the world today. So we have to ask God for courage. And we have to find our voice. As Jeremiah says, we need to be valiant for the truth on the earth. Jeremiah 9.3 Because we are proceeding from evil to evil and it's waxing worse and worse. Since Satan can't destroy the gospel, he will convince us to neutralize it. Do not become intoxicated with the here and now. We must keep our eyes focused on the mission, on souls, on the end game, on the finish line, on eternity. History has shown that the church has her greatest influence upon society in social conditions when we are truly, truly following Christ, willing to lose our life for his sake. We have been commissioned by the Holy Spirit to bring this message to the world, which can facilitate the turnaround of a declining society. But it starts with us, stirring hearts with truth, stirring hearts to repentance, stirring hearts to salvation, stirring hearts for eternity. Thank you for joining us today. We have quite a lineup of topics coming up this year, and we hope you tune in. I want to give a quick shout out to our podcast patrons who support this program. Thank you so much. We couldn't do any of this without you. If you would like to learn more about JCM, please visit the link in the description of this episode. Until next time, God bless you. Mm-hmm.